very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. The questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, or your truth journey brought you here, well, welcome home. And if you wish to listen to tonight's full interview, just go back to our website, VeritasRadio.com, if you're not already there, and subscribe begin the year with the truth. And if you want to declassify the secrets to your health and longevity and unlock your full potential for pennies a day, go to sanitasradio.com, sample a lot of the shows that we have there. And if you like it and it makes a difference, subscribe. And to get in touch with me, or if you want to be a guest on this radio program, just go to the contact button of our website. I'd love to hear from you. From the days of the American Revolution, the Jacobin French Revolution, to the coalition wars against Napoleon, to Andrew Jackson's war on the Central Bank, to Karl Marx's war on sanity, the U.S. Civil War, to the red, shocking wave of the 19th century assassinations, to the conspiratorial founding of the Federal Reserve, to the horrific First World War to enslave Germany, to the Rothschild communist subversion of Russia's Tsar, to the horrible world war against Hitler and Japan, to the Cold War, to the JFK assassination, to the women's movement, to the global warming hoax, to the fall of communism, to the 9-11 attacks and the war on terror, and finally, to the looming confrontation with Russia and China, the common threat of the New World Order crime gang, links all these events together. At the heart of this self-perpetuating network sits the legendary house of Rothschild the true owners of planet Earth, or don't we call it Planet Rothschild. And to discuss all of this, tonight is a veteran of this show that requires no introduction. His website is tomatobubble.com. I'm glad to have, directly from the New York City area, private investigative researcher and journalist, Mike King, back of Veritas. Hello, Mike, and welcome back. Well, thanks for having me, Mel. This is, what, our third go-around, I think? I, I, I lost count, because, you know, every time I have you on, it's something, although everybody has heard about the Rothschild, for example, I uh, I just cannot believe that you have put so much into these two volumes. This must be your magnus opus, isn't it? Yeah, that's right, Mel. I mean, this is, I mean, usually when I put a book out, 
Uh, I could, you know, immerse myself over a period of two to three months research, put together a solid 100 to 150-page concise volume. Uh, this was years in the making. I mean, it literally took me uh, maybe a year and a half to two years to put together. And I mean, not working full time, but a steady effort. But even prior to that, this represents the synthesis of 15 to 20 years of, of just studying and everything I picked up all along the way uh, and had to figure out myself, which is not easy because I mean, you, people who write about this stuff don't always link it all together for you. You pick up bits and pieces. And, and what I sought to do with Planet Rothschild is to find that common thread and link together the last 250 years, uh, decade by decade. And as, as you go through the pages of Planet Rothschild, the fingerprints of this family, that common thread that I'm talking about, becomes unmistakable. Uh, but this is the result indirectly of many, many years of studying this thing. Uh, but the good news is your readers don't have to spend that time. They can just uh, cuddle up with these two volumes over a, a period of uh, several hours over a few weeks, and they will acquire what I call the equivalent of a PhD in New World Order Studies. Absolutely. That's exactly what I thought when I was reading them. Planet Rothschild, The Forbidden History of the New World Order, Volumes 1 and 2. And usually when someone owns a piece of land, Mike, you know this, they tend to name it. Do you think that instead of calling our planet Planet Earth, it should be renamed to Planet Rothschild? Well, you know, that, that description would not be too far off the mark. I mean, certainly by this point in history, there are uh, some other powerful players in their own right who are uh, allied with the Rothschild. And we can only speculate if the house itself is still at the very pinnacle by themselves or if they're just part of the pinnacle. Uh, but there can be no doubt that without this family, uh, this thing that we call the New World Order, this, this crime movement of the last 250 years, would, could, could not have come into existence it cannot have achieved what it what it has. Uh, they are the uh, uh, the the, uh, the Don Corleone of this thing, and uh, it's just astonishing to to see it decade after decade. I mean, most people once they get past their own grandparents or great grandparents, they might not even know who their ancestors were. And here you have a 250 year line. Um, from the original patriarch to his son, to his sons and his son and his son. And to this day, we see the big players. They're, they're still there on the scene. Matt Rothschild, Evelyn, Sir Evelyn the Rothschild, Sir Jacob the Rothschild. Uh, so this is, is no question. This is, they have shaped, to the extent that they have shaped Europe and America and by extension the world, this is their, uh, their planet. The, uh, the, the money lending, the perpetual debt, the degeneracy, the endless wars, uh, that's that's what they have brought about. So it's not uh, it would not be inaccurate to call this planet planet Rothschild in a political sense. But there are but there are there are some holdouts. And when you understand that, then you begin to understand some of the tension we see in the world today. There's some uh, people who are bucking back against this thing, particularly Russia and China. Absolutely. Even though, even though, even our own, well, even watching the Republican debate last night, 
It is so obvious, so obvious that everybody on that stage, well, except for one, that is still within the, the, the puppeteer's range, but at least he's calling it like it is. He's the only candidate that doesn't want to go to war, World War Three, and that's Rand Paul. But we can talk about that later. But this is the Rothschild name. It's probably the most famous or, or actually notorious, rather, name that we have around. Take us back to 1763, because well, I like to do, I like to go in chronological order, even though it's going to be impossible to discuss everything, because you have over 700 pages in your in your two volumes. But take us back to 1763, the birth of the New World Order and the establishment of the Rothschild Banking Dynasty. But actually, I think it begins in 1743, isn't it? Well, it began with uh, Moses Bauer, who later changed the family name to uh, Rothschild, and he was a goldsmith. And what these fellows used to do back in the day is they would store people's gold, charge a fee, and then they'd start lending it out, make compound interest. Uh, but by the time uh, Moses' son uh, came on the scene, the Rothschilds were already very, very wealthy. Uh, and, and then they, they branched out into five different countries, the, uh, the brothers. Um, but it is, it's really, it, it's, it's incredible how quickly they were able to accumulate so much wealth. I mean, we're talking within a 20, 30 year period, they had already become the most immensely wealthy or one of the most immensely wealthy banking families in, uh, in Europe. And how did they do that? The, uh, how, well, uh, how did they do that? That's the magic. That's the magic of compound interest. It's, it's something people don't understand, but I mean, once you get that, I mean, have you ever heard of the rule of seventy-two? I don't. If you've ever, I used to. Oh, absolutely, but only, only, only with, only with usury, that could only happen. Well, that's yeah, that's right. That's how they made their fortune. And and you know, back in the day, you know, you'd lend money to ignorant people at rates like fifteen, twenty, twenty-five percent. You just multiply, multiply. Then you expand into lending money to princes and principalities and governments. And, you know, you, you have the force of the law backing you up, so you know you're going to collect. You know, back in the day, if you didn't pay your debts, you'd go to debtor's prison. So um, it just became immensely wealthy, as money lenders always have since, the, since this abominable practice uh, began. And then, and then from the wealth, they branched out into uh, political power. Um, so by the time 1800 rolls along, uh, well, Nathan Rothschild, especially in Britain, he's probably the biggest man in Britain. And this is before the Napoleon Napoleonic Wars, which ultimately multiplied his fortune <clears throat> even more. And you'll know in the very beginning of my book, I um, I talk about a movie, a Hollywood film that was put out in 1934 called The House of Rothschild. It starred uh, Loretta Young, Boris Karloff, uh, some you know Frankenstein, wasn't he? Well, that's right. Yeah, but in this film, he put, he portrayed a Russian, a Prussian, that is, Prussian-German uh, count. <laughs> and they made him look like Frankenstein, too, which is not a coincidence. You know, so they, even back then, uh, because Germany was already under Hitler, so already in 1934, they were putting out the sort of propaganda. But it was, it's, it's interesting that a film like that was made in Hollywood, and the film portrayed the Rothschild in a sympathetic way. But at the same time, uh, it made it clear how wealthy Nathan Rothschild and his brothers were and how influential they were. And it depicts all of the uh, 
the warring parties of the coalition wars against Napoleon are quite literally begging Rothschild for, for, for finance. So this is a Hollywood film that confirms what, uh, what you and I would be called, quote, anti-Semites for. But this is put out by Jewish Hollywood, so they're almost boasting about the power of the House of Rothschild. Um, so that that's when they, they really came into their own, right around this time, the late 1700s, French Revolution, uh, when all of these secret societies were, were, were coming forth. And I go into, into the series Planet Rothschild, how they are the power behind these subversive movements. They provide the money and the, and the organization, but they stay many layers above this stuff, so you can never really trace anything directly back to them. You just have to discern the pattern. Um, when I look, that, when I look at the that. at the history of the United States, Mike, I think it's a uh, 222 or 21 out of the 239 years of our existence, 93% of of our history has always been fighting at war. Only a few years at peace, like 21 years, I think it is. Do you think the Rothschilds are behind all these wars? Well, um, they. The, the earliest trace of this would be the American Civil War. And this came as quite a surprise to me when I was doing my research because it wasn't as if I put this book together based on all the knowledge I have and, and let me just collect it all. In the process, I began going deeper and deeper, and I learned a lot of things that I did not know. And I make the convincing, overwhelming case in the book that the Rothschild hand was involved in splitting up the North and the South and fomenting the American Civil War. Um, you know, another thing I learned was all of the assassinations of the uh, of the 1900s. I had no idea, and it is really amazing. I list them all in the book. How many kings, queens, prime ministers, princes, presidents were killed by these fanatical uh, anarchists in service of the uh, of the new world order? So they they were able to get to anyone. So you you have all these people who are willing. I mean, these are like fanatics, sort of like maybe some of the, the fools who fight for ISIS or something like that. And they, they're true believers, but they don't understand the big hand that's manipulating them. So that was another thing I learned. But back to your question about the American wars. Um, the biggest man in the Confederacy was not Jefferson Davis. He was nominally the president, but he relied heavily, in fact, it's clear to me that he was manipulated by Judah Benjamin, who served as attorney general and later as secretary of state and also secretary of war. He was the biggest man in the South. He had his, he had his uh, picture on Southern Confederate bonds as well as uh, Southern currency. And Judah Benjamin was a, 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 the first Jewish senator. He's from Louisiana. And he met with Rothschild. And I quote from letters that the, uh, uh, one of the Rothschilds wrote back to his brother Lionel in, in London saying we should support the Confederacy. And I met some of the Jews of the South, and I was so impressed with Judah Benjamin and on and on. But I mean, it's a long story, but there, there, there's no question. The Rothschilds sought to split up the North and the South and eventually uh, put a central bank in each one. So that's, um, that's that was really their first major move into American politics and dragging us into wars. And then you see the same pattern of the New World Order movement uh, manipulating us and benefiting from the 
the phony war with Spain in 1898. We talked about that the last time we were on your show. And World War One and World War Two and the war on terror and, and on and on it goes. Um, you know, it becomes more obvious in the 20th century. But the big surprise for me, and I, I think your readers will be intrigued by this, is the degree that the Rothschilds were involved in supporting um, the South. By the way, I'm going to be jumping around just because there's so much information to cover, and I have to make references every so often. You're talking about the Civil War, but just before that, the the Louisiana Purchase, and a lot of people just don't know this, but uh, Napoleon sold it to, to us because he needed money to fight his wars in Europe, but he didn't want to go to the bankers to ask for money. Is that the reason? That's right, and 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 this is uh, this is very interesting too. The, the parallels between Napoleon and Hitler, and I mean that as you know in a good way. Uh, Napoleon right. was very much against usury. I mean, he was passing edicts against money lending and freeing people of their debt burdens. And the, the Jewish moneylenders to this day. They refer to that as the infamous decree. They're very bitter over this. They felt that... Give, give, some, give some specifics of what made him get all the way to that uh, infamous decree. All the things that he had to do, which to me sounded fair. Well, that's right. I mean, Napoleon was... I mean, the paradox of Napoleon is that he, he lusted for power and empire, but the motive to me, was not one of, uh, you know, a megalomaniac. He, he, he sought to enshrine the ideals of the French Revolution. Now, the French Revolution was run by these pro, uh, pre-communist Jacobins, but in terms of the ideals that they pretended to stand for, about equal opportunity, liberty, equality, fraternity, what Napoleon embodied was, was the true I- I- ideal. And he believed in freedom. He believed he was against the feudalist system. He believed in the rule of law. He, it should also apply to kings and, and emperors. So it was a different style of monarchy. Um, but he was very much against the oppression of the common man, <clears throat> excuse me, of the common man through usury. So he's totally against money lending. And he, uh, there's some really strong quotes in my book about what Napoleon said about the in private letters about the Jews and their money lending practices. So he sought to put a stop to that. And then when he needed money to finance the numerous coalition wars that were imposed upon him, uh, he refused to borrow money again. And, and one of the techniques that he used to raise money was the Louisiana purchase. So we, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson picked, picked up a whole lot of real estate and he got a really good bargain on it. And some of the things that he did, for example, if I remember correctly from reading the book, that he allowed lending a lot, as long as it did not go beyond any debt that was beyond or higher than 10%, he would cancel. To uh, what else did he uh, uh, Debt to minors he canceled. So it was a, a fair deal, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything Napoleon did in terms of his laws and the codes that he put together with the team of uh, uh, scholars and intellectuals he put together – always had in mind to uplift the condition of the common man. And I have another book out that's actually going to be coming out in January. And it's pretty much of it is already contained in Planet Rothschild, but I, I call it, I, the title will be Napoleon versus the old and new world orders. Because
because that's essentially what he was doing. He represented a break with the old monarchy mentality of the past where the king is the absolute monarch that does whatever he wants. Uh, no, he believed in a rule of law and that was binding. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.